In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Fishing. To sit out on the shore on a quiet morning and watch as creation wakes up around you, or watching the sunset as your line is in the water, can be a very relaxing experience. But you don't always catch fish when you're fishing. Now, myself, I'm an expert at catching tree limbs. There's a tree limb in the area we're fishing. I'm going to snag on it and try to drag it to shore. Now, when we were teenagers, my brother once caught an alligator. I remember that one pretty vividly. We were fishing at the lake that was across from where we were living at the time. He hooked the fish to start with, a bass or a brim, we don't know which. And as we're watching him fight it in, we saw the line go very tight. And we figured... He snagged something on the bottom. You know, the fish got himself tangled up in some of the junk that's there. But he kept insisting he was fighting something. It wasn't just something on the bottom. And suddenly, very close to shore, we see something coming up. It's about a three and a half, four foot long alligator. Not full grown, but enough to take out a finger or a toe or two. And I remember as my brother was watching this, he started yelling, cut the line. And as we're fumbling, me and my other brother were fumbling for our pocket knives, the little gator started charging, and we did what we always would do in those kind of situations. We looked at each other and ran, figuring he was going to catch the slowest one of us. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. It's worth starting by saying here, Even while the earthly throne was empty, the heavenly throne is always full. Last week we read about Jeremiah's call to be a prophet. Jeremiah came from a priestly family. He knew he was going to serve God in some way. And when God called him to be a prophet, his focus was on his age and his ability. God, I'm too young to do this. God, I don't have the right abilities to do this. I'm not gifted enough to do this new thing you want me to do. And God reached out and touched his mouth and blessed him. Isaiah heard, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, thundered the angels. Isaiah, standing in the presence of God, seeing the incense, the seraphs, and feeling the pronouncement they made as the whole temple of God shook. And all he can do is cry out, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Standing in God's presence, Isaiah could sense everything that was wrong with him and wrong with his country. But he was also standing in the presence of the living God. And hearing his cry, one of the seraphs came down to the altar, took a coal on a set of tongs, and touched Isaiah's lips with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, Your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. And with all this being done, God asked, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. And then God tells him, he's going to go to God's people and tell them that they're not hearing, they're not seeing, they're not understanding God's word. They're not living right. And that God's judgment is coming. But that Isaiah's prophesying and preaching Instead of changing their minds, will harden their hearts. 
Within two years of this encounter with God, the Assyrians will start taking captives out of the northern part of Israel. The kings could see the Assyrians coming and were looking for political alliances to save them. But God wanted them to turn their trust to him. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you keep me safe. You stretch forth your hands against the fury of my enemies. Your right hand shall save me. Their father David had written that centuries before, but they didn't listen. They relied on their own power and their own abilities to keep them safe. God also told Isaiah his people were, were, he was going to leave his people defeated and forsaken. He told him that they were the mighty tree has been. God will bring forth a holy seed. That same seed I think God had in mind when he said the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head. Even when we don't listen, even when we walk away, God doesn't leave us without hope. For I hand it on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. We saw that God had told Isaiah years before a holy seed would come from the stump. Then we see in the Gospels that Jesus was born and lived. And Paul says that his death and resurrection were of the first importance of faith. We say it every Sunday in the creeds, right? He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. Or, for our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. And on the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. We say it every Sunday we have communion. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Or, in remembrance of his blessed passion and precious death, his mighty resurrection, his glorious ascension. Christ coming to fulfill God's love for us and for the world. It's confirmed in the resurrection. But the resurrection doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense in ancient times. We read in Acts when Paul was preaching to the Athenians. They were listening. They were very interested. They were right there until he spoke of the resurrection. Then the crowd fell into a dispute about the resurrection. Some of them thought it was interesting Most of them thought, this is crazy, it can't be real. It doesn't make sense to them. It doesn't make sense for people now. But for Paul, it was the first importance. He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. But last of all, as to one untimely born, He appeared to me. Now, when we read this list, we see Peter and the twelve and James given special treatment along with 500 brothers and sisters, and lastly to Paul. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul has spent two chapters defending his apostleship in light of the divisions and the problems within the Corinthian church. And here he's not making an extensive list of everyone who saw the resurrected Jesus. We know all the Gospels say that the women saw Jesus first. And we know that it seems he met two men on the road to Emmaus before he met Peter. Paul here is mostly concerned in pointing out that the apostles and that portion of the early church they could turn to to confirm the resurrection. It's just not a vision that Paul had, a weird experience. They could travel and go back to Jerusalem and speak to Peter. Those are the twelve that were still alive. They could go talk to James, the Lord's brother. Any one of those 500 who were now scattered across the empire. And he came to Paul last. 
and called Paul to apostolic work, like a child born at the wrong time. And Paul believes in his heart that his persecution of the church means he's unworthy, like Isaiah, to the ministry God's called him to. But God himself appeared to Paul to give him both the good news and to call him to ministry. Whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have come to believe. While Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowds were pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. In our gospel this morning, Jesus needs to move away from the crowds so they can hear him better. He tells Peter, who's cleaning up, and his brother Andrew to take him out. And when he's done preaching, he tells Andrew and Peter, put out into the deep water and let your nets down for a catch. Peter starts to explain to him they've already tried that. They've been fishing when they should have all night long, and nothing has been caught. Then he says, yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. And they have faith, and they cast their nets out. And then they can't pull back in their nets. There are so many fish in there, they can't do it. The nets are breaking. They call to James and John, their partners, at the shore. They bring out their boats. The two boats are almost swamped from all the fish. I've never had a fishing day like that, have you? And seeing this, and knowing this shouldn't be happening, Peter, like Isaiah, like Paul, knows he's unworthy of what's happening. He says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And Jesus responds, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching people. Then when they brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. God called Peter, Andrew, James, and John to follow him and reach out to those around them with the gospel. Just like he calls us today and wants us to share the good news of Jesus' resurrection. Now I know you're going to tell me you weren't there. That unlike Paul, Jesus has never appeared to you on a road to Damascus. But you can share what the risen Christ has done in your life. And share that love with all those around you. For we're all called to be fishers of men. Amen.